Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Tuesday, January 30th. Here's what's driving the day. The big bipartisan tax bill is headed to the House floor this week. At least that's what Speaker Mike Johnson told a gathering yesterday evening. Quote, I think you're going to get a very high vote tally, probably on both sides of the aisle, he said, according to a person familiar with his remarks. Expect Johnson to announce more precise scheduling at this morning's House GOP conference meeting, with the bill set to move under suspension of the rules. And DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas won't be present today as the House Homeland Security Committee votes on articles of impeachment against him. But he is speaking out this morning in a seven-page letter he sent to the panel. He tells Republicans that their, quote, false accusations do not rattle me and do not divert me, end quote, while calling on them to take action on the border policy overhaul taking shape in the Senate. We need a legislative solution, and only Congress can provide it. And finally, there's growing pressure on Joe Biden to respond to the attack on a U.S. military base in Northeast Jordan on Sunday. Joining me now to talk about that is Pentagon reporter Laura Seligman. Laura, let's start this morning with what we know about who is behind the attack over the weekend in Northeast Jordan and how they actually broke through the defenses of this outpost. Right. So what we know so far, what the Pentagon and the administration has said is that Iran-backed militias, specifically the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps-backed militia groups in Iraq and Syria are behind this attack. Not just this attack, but the more than 160 other attacks that have happened so far in the last four months. What the administration has done is they made very clear that they ultimately hold Iran responsible for these attacks. The question now is, what does the president do about it? He has a very fine line to walk. He has limited options, and none of them are good options. One is do nothing or do something on the lines of what he's done before and risk looking weak and having his critics criticize him even further, and then Iran continues to escalate. Or he can take the riskier path and approve a stronger, more robust response, a strike, maybe even on Iran itself, but certainly on Iran's assets, that might be a value to it. And that's a very risky step that that risks a direct conflict with Iran. You reported last night on how this attack happened. Can you just quickly explain what happened? I, I think when the initial reports of this attack came out, there were a lot of folks who said, wait a second, how did this drone penetrate a well-protected U.S. outpost like Tower 22. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So there's a couple of things you need to know. And one is the location of Tower 22. It's just across the border between Syria and Jordan. It's on the Jordan side. And it's just a few kilometers away from a different base that's in Syria, the Al-Tanf garrison. And Tower 22 is very small. It's maybe 300 to 350 troops there at a time in temporary housing. So it's usually a crossover point for special operations forces to go into Syria to join the fight against ISIS. So that means with a smaller base, it has fewer air defenses than a bigger bigger base would. And what's happened basically is that this drone was able to penetrate 
our defenses because it flew in at the same time as a different U.S. drone, a coalition drone, was coming in for a landing at the base. It was returning from a mission. And this enemy drone was able to evade detection by coming in at the same time. And in that way, it impacted the base and it impacted right in the living quarters, which is a disaster. It's in the early morning hours when troops are still in their beds. So that's why we saw three troops killed and more than 40 wounded. Totally defenseless. Do we know if the attackers were sophisticated enough to take advantage of this sort of defensive loophole? Or was it uh, simply a, a coincidence that the drones came in at the same time? Well, I think that's an important question. I think that's one that the investigators are still sort of looking into. But initially, I think that the assessment is that the Iranian proxy saw this opportunity and they took advantage of it. So it's not necessarily a strategy that they have employed before, but they saw an opportunity and they exploited it. On the relationship between these attackers and Iran, the constellation of Iran-backed groups that seem to be escalating their attacks on U.S. forces and, and other allies in the region, it's a bit dizzying to keep all of these groups straight. Is there anything you can tell us specifically about these attackers and how they're similar or different than other proxies in the region, their relationship with uh, Iran, is it tighter, looser? Do we know a lot about who they are? Well, Iran has a number of proxies across the world, but particularly in the Middle East. And the ones that are attacking U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria and now Jordan are the, the, the Shia militia groups. And Iran has pretty direct line to them in terms of funding and training and supplying and a good amount of control, not not total control over their actions, but a good amount of control. I mean, a lot of experts and former officials that I've talked to over the past couple of weeks have said that these groups are not going to do any kind of strike without approval from the Quds Force or from the IRGC. The other proxies in the area, you go a little bit farther out afield and there's Hamas, Another proxy is Lebanese Hezbollah. They also get a lot of funding and weapons from Iran. And another proxy is the Houthis. And those are based in Yemen. And they are another group that's gotten a lot of, of headlines this past couple of weeks because they've been shooting missiles, drones, rockets into the Red Sea, aiming for commercial ships and trying to disrupt commercial traffic. And they've even at times aimed for Navy, U.S. Navy warships. And that has really ratcheted up tensions in the region as well, even before this attack happened because of the risk of escalation here and the risk to U.S. forces. And finally, Laura, there's, there's, there's sort of this semantic argument about whether we're at war with th this constellation of proxy groups or not. I wonder what your sources sort of say about that debate. The question of whether or not we are at war is one that has really gotten a lot of people looking at recently. And the answer to that from the administration's perspective 
They've said that we are not at war. The U.S. is not at war. The U.S. does not seek war. There are a lot of people that now, especially since the Biden administration started bombing Yemen, that say, well, it seems like we're at war with the Houthis. We have a repeated bombing campaign to bomb them in Yemen. I don't know whether those same people can make the argument that we are at war with these Iran-backed proxies right now, because they have tended to do these attacks over the years, starting years and years ago. These attacks, while they are more frequent now, they've always been occurring. And we have both the Trump administration and Biden have at times authorized strikes, which they're calling self-defense strikes against these Iran-backed groups. So I think for this particular attack, the president can use his self-defense authorities and use that as his justification to Congress to be able to strike these groups. He's fighting back against uh, an attack in self-defense. To strike Iran or Iranian assets, that I think might require something more. And I think you might hear people in Congress calling for a new authorization if he wants to start a war with Iran, potentially. So there's a lot of gray area there. Yeah. Wow. It's escalating pretty fast. Laura, thank you so much for breaking this all down for us. Thanks so much for having me. And for your schedule today, the Senate and the House are in. President Biden is fundraising. He'll travel down to Florida. He'll hit a couple of events in Jupiter and Miami before returning to Washington. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening.